tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired with Christina Warren and me, Brett Terpstra. How's it going, Christina? I'm good. How are you? I am great. This episode, I should mention, is brought to us by 1Password from Agile Bits, which is online security without sacrificing any convenience. We'll talk more about it in a bit. We will. But So what? what's big this week? Well, the Oscars were this week. Really? They were. Did you not no, see my I speech? I knew that. <laughs> I knew it happened. I don't know what happened though. Okay, well, so it was Oscar Sunday, uh, Oscar week, and so it was a, uh, it was a big deal. Um, there was kind of a lot of conversation around the awards before it started because of the whole Oscars no white, uh, Oscars so white hashtag movement. Um, that it kind of started around the fact that for the second year in a row, not a single person of color was nominated for an Academy Award, which is pretty terrible. Do you think Oscar? Uh, hashtag Oscars no white would be as offensive to the general Oscar viewing public. Uh, <laughs> would as many people be up in arms about that as Oscar so white? You mean if there were no white people nominated? Yeah. I mean, but that that's that's a that's a that, that's the sort of thing that would never happen though. Like that's the thing. Like we're still like the majority like in, in people who are in Hollywood. So like there's no way that would ever happen. Like it's to me that's like a hypothetical that's that's silly on its face. Plus frankly, I don't even know. I mean, I, I think that white people would be up in arms about it, but then they would also be like, "Well, I feel racist for being angry about this." Right. Exactly. So so and there would be that people who get really into the Oscars also have a certain Hollywood mentality. Precisely, which, which means... Which would mean, like, instant white guilt. Complete. And be like, oh, good. Right, right. Well, no white people left. Uh, right, I think that really would be what it'd be, is you would have people, like, kind of grumbling behind the scenes, like, being like, I can't believe not a white... Not a single white person was, was you know, nominated. <laughs> but in public, on Twitter, on Facebook, at the Oscar parties, it's so wonderful to see such a diverse nominated... You know, so many diverse nominees. It's, you know, frankly, this, this event has been too white for too long. I'm so glad this has happened, meanwhile. Well, you know, like Harvey Weinstein is like, I can't believe, you know, that, that, uh, that this didn't happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's fair. But I mean, it, it was interesting because obviously Jada Pinkett Smith was one of the people who kind of kicked off the, the boycott. You know, she and Will Smith refused to come to the Oscars and, and, and some other black celebrities kind of agreed, although many of them did not. Because as Chris Rock said in his monologue, he's like, I'm not going to turn down a job. I'm not going to give Kevin Hart another <laughs> op- another gig. Um it was interesting, though, because the Academy president this year for the first time is, is, is an African-American woman. And so that kind of sucks for her and that she had to literally, like, kind of take on this PR storm for the Academy. And, and, and they've said they're committed to diversifying, you know, the, 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 the voters and, and, and the members of the Academy and, and to making things um, less, you know, all um, white people. Because uh, that's one of the problems is that if, if the Academy is full of nothing but, like, white people and people of a certain age and, and, and of a certain, you know, social class, then they're primarily probably just going to be nominating people who remind them of themselves. I mean, that's, that happens with a lot of things. I don't think that's true. I, I don't think, think it's that... always true, but I think that it can be true. I think that there's a little bit of like unconscious bias that happens with these things. Well, I would hope that people who are on the Academy and making these selections are interested in good acting yeah, I would more too. More so than comfort with 
you know, racial or class similarities. I think the problem, though, which is is what sucks about this, though, is because there were. Yes, this is my point. This is this is were valid. Well, this is this is the problem is is that I I think that I would be more willing to hear your earlier argument, which, which I know is not an argument you're making. I'd be more willing to hear that if there hadn't been some really standout performances this year. But there were. I mean, just looking at, you know, straight out Agreed. of Compton alone, um, you know, looking at there, – there were a lot of films. There were a lot of actors who could have been nominated. And I'm not, I, I don't know if they – you know, I'm not, I'm not on the Academy, but it just feels like it's odd when there is a complete lack of any diversity in, in, those, in those awards. I mean, it's just it, – it's, it's something that's worth noting. But I felt bad for the Academy president for, you know, you get this job. You know, you reach kind of the apex of your career. And what's the first thing you have to deal with? as like a black woman who it's hard enough, like, and it's amazing enough that like in, because it's, I think a lot of people agree it's probably hardest for black women of anybody because they get the double, they get, they get both, they get it out of both barrels. You know, you're, you're a person of color and you're a woman, like it sucks. And, and, and you're judged on a lot of levels. So you finally reach the apex of your career and you've got to clean up the mess of, of, of the, you know, um, academy. And you've also got to kind of defend and, and, have a PR thing about, you know, your award show. So like it sucks um, for her. I think that it was interesting what they did the whole night is they very much addressed the issue and Chris Rock's first monologue, like he he addressed it and, and he said, oh, is Hollywood racist? And he was like, yeah, it's sorority racist, which I thought was one of his best jokes and was very brave, I thought, in a lot of the things he said in his monologue to say to the audience he was saying it to. Because again, you're talking to people who think of themselves as the good white people. You know, we're, 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 we're the people who are, we're, we're not like those other white people. We're not like the Donald Trump people. We're the good white people. But yet the good white people, and I include you and I with that, we need to hear like our bullshit too like we need to be called out on on stuff and like not to go all tumblr on everyone but like we do need to like check our white privilege and and i thought that it it was good that he did that and he addressed the elephant in the room he also brought stacy dash out on stage and she said happy black history month everyone which was awkward for everyone but hilarious um i was constantly go on sorry go ahead I was just saying that was a moment where where I, when I tweeted it, it was probably my most popular tweet where I was like, well, you know, wanted to make things awkward for everyone. And then Stacey Dash comes out and it's like because every because literally, you know, she's been very vocally against the Oscar so white movement and has called for an end to Black History Month on Fox News and things like that because she's just a ridiculous person. So to bring her out during the show to make a cameo was was pretty funny. I think. Like I want, I want to imagine that in the voting process, there was a lot of discussion and concern that in the end it was looking like there were going to be no black contenders well, for these. But well, they decided. In, there's in, not a discussion. What they though. decided was that there was not an affirmative action in Hollywood and that they would make these choices regardless of race. That's well, what I want to think. Happened. Well, but there's not a discussion. It's a ballot. Well, fair enough. So that's actually fair enough. But I want to think that it, that we don't need to throw in token. I agree. Nominations. I totally agree. I mean, look, I would much rather have there be no person of color nominees than having 
a special category for best black actor. Right. Because I right. think that's or, insulting. Or nominate someone who had an inferior performance. And I'm not, I don't even know who the nominees were this year. I totally did not track it. But at all. I mean, um, I, I don't think quotas are the answer, but I do think that it, I think that the voters need to kind of, because the problem is, is that you vote on a ballot and you vote based on what you see and you can't force everybody to see everything, you know, like that, that's just not possible. So it kind of comes down to a lot of times, like what people are going to watch. And so if the bigger films um, and, and, and that the films that are part of the big campaigns don't have, um, you know, people of color cast, then they tend to be ignored. And so you, that's why I think you tend to see like the, the films that with, with, with you know, um, with, with, you know, with a lot of like like black cast members that are they're nominated for the big awards that are are, are dramas oftentimes, you know, things like like Precious or Twelve Years a Slave, and um, you know Ray. You know, there there are these sorts of like kind of moment pictures, and those are the ones where people. Monsters Ball, you know, Halle Berry, they're these moment kind of films that they can kind of carry and, and they get enough buzz that people will watch them. But I think it's hard and I think there does have to be a discussion that the Academy has to have with its members about getting out of your comfort zone and watching more films so that you can be exposed to more things. Because like Straight Outta Compton was nominated for a couple of awards, including I think Best Screenplay and, and, and like maybe Best Song or whatnot, but it was a really good film. And, and Sylvester Stallone was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Creed. But Michael B. Jordan, who was the star of of, of Creed, um, you know, he wasn't nominated. So so Sylvester Stallone was nominated for his role, you know, that that he had as Rocky. But 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 Michael B. Jordan was not. And and so you kind of have to ask questions. And and like again, like looking to the best actor nominees, like I don't know if his performance was good enough to go toe to toe with the ones that were nominated. But I don't think it was a stretch. I mean, he was really good in it. And and certainly there were other. Um, there were some really strong performances in, in that film. And so I just, it, it's one of those odd things where, you know, you see, e- even if he was, even if he'd been nominated in a supporting category, which, which I don't know if, if that would have qualified, if he would have wanted to qualify himself that way or not, but, but Ian Stallone were kind of the main characters in a lot of ways. Like, it's just, it's a weird thing. Like you have to wonder, like you're going to nominate Stallone, but you're not going to nominate the guy who gave a standout performance in the movie. Like you're yeah. going to, you're going to nominate the guy. It's- you're gonna because nom- it's such a subjective process, that seems like you, you'll never know what the no, you won't. Uh, emotional motivations behind uh, that Completely. Were. Well, and, and, and I think, though, that the only way you kind of get around this is to have more conversations and, and, and uh, frankly, maybe a little bit shaming people. And, and, and that, does that create tokenism? I don't know. But it, it's, it's ridiculous that there were no nominees for the second year in a row. I mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, they're – especially when, when we're seeing more and more, like, really quality – you know, film roles finally for, for people of color, like it, it's about time. So I don't ever want to see like its own category. Like, I think that's ridiculous, but, and I also think that otherizes it. I, and I felt the same way, like when they made best animated feature film, its own category, like I honestly felt like that otherized animated films. <laughs> and, and because it, and, and frankly, what it does is it gives people an opportunity not to nominate you for the main award. Cause you can be, of course, but, but most of the time you won't be. And, and like, so a film like Inside Out doesn't get nominated for Best Picture, but it's going to win Best Animated Feature. Um, whereas, right. do, you, do you really want CGI immigrants taking our jobs? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's um, I don't know. So it, that was a big part of it when it was kind of the undercurrent of the entire awards. And then the awards themselves were interesting because some of them were totally expected. Like Leo finally won his Oscar. Finally, you know, he only had to climb into a dead horse's carcass and it, to, to, to do see, it. Did you see that website 
uh, I can't remember what exactly the URL, but it was like get Leo and Oscar. <laughs> and it was like an eight bit animation of Leonardo DiCaprio and his various roles. And it was funny. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had, I think at, at work, I think they'd had like a drafted post for Leonardo DiCaprio wins his first Oscar <laughs> for like two years, <laughs> like for like years it had been sitting in our CMS. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So back up for one second and explain to me. So the nomination process is entirely ballot. Yes. Once, once you get down to, you know, whatever final nominees are going to be presented, do the people voting, are they required to see all movies nominated? They're supposed to. But it's not guaranteed. No, no. I mean, they're supposed to, but I mean, how do you prove that? I mean, people are supposed to right, attend screenings. I, and, well, and, see, I think I'm thinking Clockwork Orange kind of like just clamp yeah. the eyeballs open. Um, I mean, yeah. they, they try. I mean, basically, they send out the screeners. They'll have different screening things for people to do it, and they, they try to. And and certainly for, for like the big categories, I mean, you're supposed to. And if you're if you you don't not every Academy member votes in every category. Like I think every Academy member can vote for you know Picture of the Year and and, and Best Director, um, maybe the Acting Awards. But then for some of the specialty ones like the Technical Awards and some of the, the, the Writing Awards, you know, might be segmented based on you know your membership level. But you're supposed to. You're supposed to see any of the films that you're nominating. But not everybody does, and that's oftentimes I think why you see in some nomination processes you'll see the same actors getting nominated over and over again regardless of their role like for instance this year jennifer lawrence was nominated for best actress for joy now she did not win uh she did not deserve to win and i don't even think she deserved to be nominated i i think she would probably agree she did not deserve to be nominated but she's jennifer lawrence and at this point the academy has seen her name on the ballot so many times that if you see the four-year consideration things and the the campaigns are are still kind of ongoing you'll put it down enough people put it down on their ballot on their short list that it'll make the final. Uh, but by the time, you know, you vote on it, you know, Brie Larson's going to be the one who wins that. But but you see that, you know, you've seen that with, with some of the supporting roles in years past too, where the person who wins is like, it's for a performance that like no one even really thought of. And like, okay, well, that's a, a weird nominee or a weird winner. Um, and you wonder like, is this the only name that the people voting on recognized on the ballot? Um, it, who knows? So I mean, the top of mind advertising thing. Uh, totally, totally, and that's why. <laughs> no, but honestly, you're you're not wrong though, because a big part of the the the, the Oscars period is is part of the campaigning process, and this I think is actually interesting. This was not brought into the Oscars so white discussion, and it probably should have been. Is the fact why are black films and black actors not promoted in award season? as well as white actors and, and white films, uh, you know, predominantly white films, because you see the, the, the campaign starting, you know, in September, um, sometimes even earlier than that for, for people to get their Oscars, you know, the people, you know, people like Harvey Weinstein will lobby everybody and, you know, he'll say things like at certain awards, I can't tell you who to vote for, but Leonardo DiCaprio sure was fantastic in The Revenant, you know, like, you know, they, they, they spend all kinds of money on the trade magazines. They, they send all sorts of, you know, they throw, they throw parties. You know, they do a lot to, to buy ads on websites to really kind of show off stuff. So it does kind of come down to if you're kind of a voter who doesn't have a chance to see everything, but you've seen a whole lot of ads for, for Leo and the Revenant, or you've been hearing nothing but positive buzz about Brie and, and Room, like you're, that's how you're going to go. Um, this would be a perfect segue into talking about Trump, but I'm not ready to get there yet. Right. It would be, though. We'll, we'll say <laughs> but it, it is the same thing, but it is the exact same thing. I mean, because so much of it does kind of come down to like, what do you know and what do you recognize? The Emmys are the same way. The Emmys, I think, even more than the Oscars. I think a lot of people who are Academy Motion, uh, motion Pictures, Arts, Arts and Sciences winners, take, or members rather, take more of a responsibility because it is, you know, 
the Ampus. You know, it is like yeah. like the Oscars. Whereas, you know, Emmy voters, though, a lot of times they, they just go with the name they recognize. And, and I've talked to Emmy voters who've told me that. They're like, I haven't seen everything because there's too much to watch. Oscars, it can be a little more manageable. You know, you're maybe watching, you know, if you're watching all the Best Picture nominees, you're maybe watching nine films and you're watching some of the, the best actor performances, which are probably more than half of them are interspersed within those nine films. So you're maybe having a slate of 15 movies to watch, which is a lot, but not unsurmountable. Whereas, you know, TV, you could be talking about, you know, 50 shows. I've been to a couple of Oscar viewing parties where they had um, like uh, kind of bets. Yeah. You know, and you would choose your your bets for each category. Right. I fail every time. I have very different tastes than. Yeah, I usually do pretty well. And the thing is that I don't always vote on my taste. I vote on what I think the Academy is going to do. And there are like a lot of like indicating factors into what will happen with that. And and, and uh, my friend Chris Tapley, who runs um, the awards, co-awards, the, the co-awards editor at Variety, and he used to be at HitFix. And, and I worked with him many, many years ago. He has a really kind of like almost money ball like approach to figuring out what's going to win in the odds on favorites. It's really smart. Well, and that would, yeah, that would be way smarter than me assuming that what I thought was right. really good was going to win. Well, cause what you typically do is you look at the other awards before you get to the Oscars. Cause the Oscars is the last award show because a lot of times the voting members are the same. So for instance, the, the screen actors guild awards are almost always an indicator of who's going to win because the voting block is almost exactly the same. So if something, you know, like Leo obviously won the SAG awards, so did Brie Larson. But what's interesting was the best picture because they don't give it to film. They give it to ensemble. It, the, the, the winner of that was spotlight and spotlight won best picture. Now I was really glad that spotlight won best picture. We talked about that last podcast yeah. and I'm, and, and I, I can't wait for you to see it once it comes out. It's really good. But it won Best Picture. It had not consistently won the Best Picture awards at other um, things, you know, like, like the, the the BAFTAs and, 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 and the Golden Globes and, and the, you know, New York Film Critics Awards and some of the other ones. Like it hadn't it hadn't swept by any means. It was it seemed pretty open. And in fact, a, some like Chris Tapley's Oz on Favorites had the big short as winning. Um, but Spotlight won and again kind of proved that, you know, usually if you go with what wins the best ensemble at SAG, it's probably going to win Best Picture. Um, but that, I mean, that was kind of an interesting one because, again, like that was a film that was nominated for, for a lot of Academy Awards and I think it only won, might have won one other thing for for Spotlight, might, might have only won one uh, award. But, um, you know, but it got the big one, um, which I think it was deserved because – it's, it's an incredible film and it's a great ensemble film. And it was actually, I think, kind of one of those instances where even though the acting was without a doubt, um, like top notch, the performances were really good and really understated. Um, like I thought that, um, yeah, it won two Academy Awards. It won Best Original Screenplay and it won Best Picture. Um, but uh, like the acting awards, it was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. And, and and best director and, and Rachel McAdams and, and Mark Ruffalo were both nominated you know, for the acting awards and, and they didn't win. Um, um, Alicia Vikander uh, won for uh, the Danish Girl and uh, and I thought she was great in um, um, Joyce Ma- uh, Ex Machina. Uh, I thought she was great in that. So, um, but Rachel McAdams gave like a stellar performance. But it's one of those movies where it really was the sum of all of its parts. So I totally got why she wasn't going to win the acting awards. As good as she was, it was one of those things. It's like actually, this film worked because of all of its parts working together. It's not one of those things where you can like take one of the roles and be like, well, this was why it worked. You know? 
which begs the question, how do we judge movies? I mean, really, shouldn't shouldn't that always be the case? If well, a movie is supported and, and carried by one individual in the cast, that kind of seems like... It's some, uh, and sometimes it is. And sometimes it is. But I think it depends on the story. Like, you look at Brie Larson's performance in Room, um, which was fantastic. I, I just saw that this week. What did you think? I was amazed. It right? was super good. It was I mean, super for, good. For what... For the limited yes. amount that went into sets and yep. casting, that kid. That kid was so good. He was not. It was. I was he, three quarters of the way through the movie before I thought to myself, man, that kid's a good actor because his performance had been so flawless. Yep. That you didn't even didn't realize even, he's acting. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even stop to think, wow, he's acting. He's like, I think he was 12 playing yeah. a nine-year-old. Yep. And, and amazing, amazing. He wasn't nominated, which I think was was a, was was terrible. Like again, I think he should have been nominated over Sylvester Stallone. There, I'll say it. You know, um, but he, uh, you know, he he was fantastic. She was great. She yeah. was just fantastic. And so you see a performance like that, and that's a great movie. But you see a you see a movie like that. I guess that's an example. And like, even though everybody in it was great, like she really just stood out and the kid he was fantastic you know and she's every award she won and she won literally every award of the entire award season as she should have but like you know she thanked him and said you know called him her partner you know in crime because they were you know they they were they were they were so great together um but you I, I guess i look at something like that and i'm like that's not an ensemble film yeah and uh, so i see so, what you're saying there so and as good as it is what stands out to me is her performance and, and, and the kids performance the film is great but what stands out to me is those performances whereas spotlight what stands out to me is the entire thing even though i think rachel mcadams performance was great and i thought leaf schreiber was great and i thought marble flow was good i thought they were all really good but it's not like i have a moment where with rachel mcadams there was one moment where i was like shit this was really amazing and you think about it but the whole thing you're you're actually going wow i'm taking the the collective kind of approach to this film rather than um you know there's this one standout performance the, the, the star approach exactly see that's like back in the earliest days of vaudeville there was no such thing as stars you went to see a, a play because you liked the playwright right or you liked you know you liked the group and then the star system started you know, opera houses came up yep and people started attending just because of the main actor. And I feel like at some point, storytelling may have suffered for for the entire idea of stardom. Um, I mean, I think that's true and that's not true. I mean, I think that because it's two things, right? It's like, well, how do you tell? I mean, you want the best per possible person to be able to bring that work to life, right? Right. But so everyone else becomes just supporting cast yeah and that's how it is sometimes i mean but so that's, you start writing movies based well, around, based around big characters yeah i mean i think that's true although again i think that the spotlight is kind of another one of those examples where you can make really great films that are about everybody you know that that are not going to be you know defined by those core performances maybe they won't get that those accolades and that's okay but it'll get the sag award for best ensemble and it'll get the academy award for best picture yeah. And people will remember it as a great movie, even if they don't remember the little details. I think that's okay. I think that there's room for both. I, I would say, yes. I would say that there are a lot of indie films that I watch that I don't know anybody in. And I sincerely appreciate being able to just focus on the story and not be thinking, wow, so-and-so is really good in this. But I do have to say, as a random aside, only slightly random. Ryan Reynolds mm -hmm. in Deadpool. So great. Was 
the best casting decision I've seen. Well, that's a great example, right? That's an example where literally that movie was so fantastic for a lot of reasons. It had a good script. It had good supporting people. But that movie is him. Yeah. It really is. And and he was perfect and he made up for so many bad movies. He did. He, he he completely did. And and he was aware of it. You know, and, and the budget that they had, it was only fifty six million, which which for a movie of that type, you know, for an action movie, for a Marvel movie is not a huge budget. And right. and it's it, he was great. Um uh the the actress that, that played his girlfriend, who was from Firefly, mm-hmm. you know, she was good. Yeah. Uh TJ uh, Miller from uh, Silicon Valley, he was really good. Um he was awesome. When he first came on, I thought the actor was the nerd guy from uh, Party People. Yeah, I can see that. With his hair that way, but it yeah, it worked out perfectly. And th- from the mo- when the opening credits are rolling, yep, and it says you know produced by a bunch of asshats, yeah, written by the real heroes here. From that <laughs> point on, I was sold because. The movie, it knew exactly what it was. It knew totally what it was. It made fun of Green Lantern. Like it, oh, in the man, when he, when, so he funny. Yelled, when he says, you better not make my super suit green. Yeah. It was perfect. Well, and they perfect. also had like like the Green Lantern like comic. Like I don't think they called it Green Lantern, but like in the opening sequence. And it's uh, it's it's hilarious. It's one of those uh, just perfect movies. I was so glad that we got an R-rated superhero film, like for mm-hmm. real. We well, and needed it. Was it was so self-aware. So self-aware. And what I liked about it was that it was self-aware, but it and and, and it called itself on its bullshit. And it was kind of like kick-ass in that way, which you know was did a good job of being kind of self-aware and kind of aware of like the broader universe of things. But unlike kick-ass, it knew that it was still a Marvel movie and loved itself for that. Like it yeah. still loved the main universe. Like that's what I liked about it. Well, like it and was it loved the bigger universe yes, too. That's what when I'm he saying. made the crack about yes. uh, Xavier. Exactly. And oh my the god. Timelines and. Yeah, it, so it, it, it loved it loved itself. It's like it knew, it knew exactly what type of movie it was. It's like this is the sort of movie, like that the comic book fans are gonna love. That the people who don't know what Deadpool is, and I'll be honest, like I was tangentially familiar with the character because I'd read things, but I've never read the comic books. Don't really know anything about it. And I was like, this is great. This is genuinely just like the perfect movie for this sort of thing. And and Ryan Reynolds was perfect in it. And I think, yeah, that kind of is a, I, I, just, I guess, to, to summarize my thoughts, like, I think we can have both. We can have the movies that tr- that truly, like, live and die on, like, one performance, and we can have, like, the, the ensembles that really shine because of everybody involved. So how many awards did Deadpool get? <laughs> well, it, it has some, it, it's too early for it to be nominated <laughs> too, for anything. Too soon, too soon. Too soon, yeah. It, it, it qualifies this year. And actually, I mean, it has a, a I think that it, it has a shot of, of getting, um, maybe a writing award because I thought the script was really great. Yeah. We'll Did see. you see, I'm going back to Brie Larson all of a sudden. Yeah. Did you see short term 12? Yes. I love that movie. I did too. I love short term 12 and she's just, she's so great. Yes. Uh, she was great in train wreck. Like she's, she's kind of having like one of those moments where people, like we, people have known about her for a long time, but are finally like yes. discovering her. Oh, that's her name. Yeah. Yeah. She deserves it. She She's totally does. Good. She's very good, and 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 I'm I'm so happy for her. And she seems like a genuinely nice person. Her boyfriend, her longtime boyfriend, is Alex Greenwald of of, of Phantom Planet, um, and uh, I quite enjoyed him. And so I was quite I was quite loved. It was quite awesome to see Alex Greenwald at the Oscars. I was like, that's pretty great. All right. Any other major events at the Oscars before we move on? No, we can move on. Okay. Um, let me check quip i should we i should go ahead and talk about our sponsor for this week yeah so 
I will say that this episode is brought to you by one password and the wonderful people at agile bits. Um, if you've never seen one password, I'm, I'm shocked that people don't know. Yeah. Like, 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 do you follow either of us on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) But if you've never heard of it, it's uh, it's a way to secure your online life completely by using strong, different passwords on every single site and being able to conveniently access them. So what do you do when you have to create yet another account on yet another website? Do you panic because you know it's a bad idea to rely on the password you've used on other sites? No. Or do you use a system like jumbling the site name and adding some personal flair? Do you avoid creating an account just because you don't want to deal with it? That wouldn't be us, but. <laughs> no, I mean, because I, 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 I always do like, our Twitter password is overtired2016, by the way. I'm kidding. No, it really isn't. I made it 20 characters long. You did. Random. You did. You, you, you made it in one password. I know this because anytime I have to log into that account, I have to open up one password on my devices and find it and copy it and paste it in. Which is the beauty of one password, though, because with a, a key click, I can copy it on iOS. It's a, I can double tap. Most apps actually let me use the send to feature and get those un like, you know how the Apple Watch, uh, you use one password on the Apple Watch? I do. You can display your password or your credit card info once you log into it. But these passwords, such as our Twitter account, <laughs> right. even, even looking at the letters, it's, it takes forever to type. So one password makes it easy, though. Um, so you can use the strong password generator, like I'm talking about, to create long, strong, unique passwords everywhere that you need them. And then it will automatically save them. So then you can log into websites with a single click of your mouse or just a couple of finger taps. And despite what its name may lead you to believe, 1Password isn't just about generating gobbledygook passwords. It also helps you keep track of all sorts of sensitive information, including addresses, credit cards, bank accounts, passport details. Passport stuff, yeah. I, all this stuff is there. Software licensees. Yeah. Oh, I use it for all my, so- all my software licenses Me from too. the last uh, probably nine years are all in there yeah i used to use an, uh, an app called app shelf that basically stopped being yeah. developed and and that was great but then one password added um software supported this is probably five or six years ago and then they they allowed you to import your app shelf csv and i was like okay this is even better like i yep. have my credit cards i have my passport information you can do secure notes which is really useful um if, if you want to you know have like information written someplace you know you can have your your driver's license all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And credit cards. I use it for filling credit card forms Me automatically too. all the time. Um, and if you buy software through something like Mac Update, it will give you a button you can click and it'll automatically add your new license to 1Password for you. Yeah, which is great. It's always really useful when you're buying software that way. To Anytime I can like immediately export it. Like I, I don't know if they still do it, but Mac Heist used to always have like an export as like 1Password password file. And yeah, your whole bundle. Your whole up. bundle shows up, which is great You know when that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, more more sites should do that because it's a great way to just keep track of everything. Like I don't know about you, but I genuinely like I, I say this, and and I would say this whether they were a sponsor of us or not. And this is why I'm glad that they're actually a sponsor. Is that like I live and die by one password. Like I genuinely live and die by it because I I wouldn't be able to get into so many of my accounts without it because I don't know the passwords. Like I don't know my PayPal password. I don't know you know um 
it literally could not be tortured out of you. No, I because I don't know it. I mean, <laughs> the the irony here is I actually do know my Dropbox password because I store my one password um, right. uh, database in, in Dropbox. So I have to know that so I can like authenticate it if I get on a new machine. Um, I've memorized that. Um, and actually, that's one of the things that one password does that it makes it super easy. If you want to create a difficult password that's still pronounceable, you can do that. So you can like find a way to like create a password that is pronounceable but still super secure. Which makes it possible to remember it and right. even possible to type it. So yeah, I, I do use I use uh, alphanumeric pronounceable passwords for Dropbox and then crazy random characters for everything else. Basically. And best of all, 1Password Families, which was just introduced, takes the frustration out of sharing your most sensitive information so you don't have to shout the Netflix passwords across the room. Right. No frenzied calls from the house sitter after they forget the alarm code. And no frustration because your partner is the only one who can make the credit card payments. Now you can share all of that sensitive data with select people securely. And uh, 1Password has been a trusted name for almost 10 years. And I've, I've been using 1Password since before it was called 1Password. Back when it was 1Password. <laughs> it had no O in it. I've been um, using it for, for nine years. I've been using it since like 2007, like when I joined TUAW. So basically, yeah. as soon as I've got my first like Intel Mac, I've been as long as I've had like my my Intel Mac, I've had like one password. It's kind of crazy, and it has never failed me. And I have to say, I I have worked at Agile Bits in the past, um, so I guess that's full disclosure. But the people on that team are so smart. It, when you if you want to talk about encryption technologies and yes. security. These They're genius. Know it? Yes, they do, and 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 they should. And and look, there are other password managers, and you know, I always say use a password manager, whatever you can. But I, I truly think it's the best. You know, it's available for for obviously iOS and Mac, but there's a Windows version, there's an Android version. And the nice thing is, is that if you choose to sort, you can sort in iCloud or in Dropbox or in another kind of you know cloud environment. You can access it anywhere, and that's yeah. to me like what. Like I have permission from my employer. My employer uses LastPass, um, and I have to use that sometimes. But I have like special permission from my employer to use uh, uh, one password in its place. Yeah, well, I mean, because I, would I told assume them, that any employer would want you to well, have I told absolute them, safety. Well, because well, I told them I was like, look, I know we've got this other solution, and that's fine. But this is what I've been using for almost a decade, and. Can I have your permission to continue to use this and to store things that I need to store in here? And they're like, yeah. Do you have a wonderful employer in that regard? For sure. For, for sure. Um, so you can check out uh, 1Password at onepassword.com. That's the number one password.com slash overtired and find out all about all of these amazing features. So yeah. I recommend everyone go check it out. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned there was a new episode of uh, a new season of Broad City. Yes, started, and I didn't realize that. Yes, yeah, so it started two weeks ago. So the third episode actually airs tonight as we record this. We're recording this on a Wednesday, and it airs Wednesday nights on Comedy Central. Uh, and then the episodes are available the next day on CC.com um, if you've got a cable login. Um, or is it not on Hulu? Um, the, 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 I'm not sure if the new, I don't think the newest episodes are, they have seasons one and two there. I didn't know about it. This is why. Okay. But you can use your FX login that you use to log yeah, in to, my, to uh, my legitimate cable login. Yeah. Your sure. legitimate cable login. So two episodes have aired so far and they're hilarious. I mean, the show is just, you know, cooking with gas. I love it so much. We've talked about Broad City before. Yeah. 
have you Han, Hannibal? Yeah. What's his last Hannibal name? Hannibal Buress. His, his, three specials at once showed up on Netflix. <laughs> like all of a sudden, Hannibal Buress is a name. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is the one who added Bill Cosby. I mean, we all like some of us, like myself included, hey, like Bill Cosby is innocent. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm Kanye. sorry. I've been reading too much Kanye. Like. Yeah, I was gonna say okay, Kanye, but no, like he. Um, it's really funny because, um, you know, a lot of people like I knew it was one of those things. It was like, well, who didn't know that that, uh, you know, Bill Cosby raped a bunch of people? Um, I, I figured that people all knew about the allegations, but a lot of people didn't until his stand up set went viral. And uh, <laughs> hey, but um, no, I mean, there there are um, the two episodes have aired so far. And uh, it's been really, really funny. In the first episode called Two Chains, basically, <laughs> it's about how uh, a, a lot of different things happen where, where uh, Alana accidentally drops a uh, key to her bike lock down uh, a sewer. And then Abby winds up getting um, buying a new shirt that, that still has the tag on it. And hijinks ensue but it's, it's it's a really funny episode the opening sequence of that episode and that one is actually available i think on cc.com for anybody to watch you don't even have to have a cable log and you can see the the season three premiere is just the opening sequence alone is really really funny and then the second episode which aired last week is called co-op and basically um Abby enlists Alana, or excuse me, Alana enlists Abby to work her co-op shift for her um, and how co-ops work, uh, is, is, and this is accurate, uh, I, I can say this is a New Yorker, I'm not a co-op member because I don't have time for this bullshit, but like basically if you want to have access to the grocery store, you know, and the co-op food, you've got to work a shift every month and so it comes, turns out like uh, Alana has never worked any shift ever and, and if she doesn't serve it by that day, then she won't be able to continue shopping at the co-op. And so she says, Abby, I need you to come in and work it for me. But the rule is, is, is you can't share shifts. So you're going to have to embody me. So, um, Abby basically dresses up and takes on all of Alana's mannerisms and the results are hilarious. That would be, um, it's very funny to kind of see like Alana through the, through the eyes of Abby. Um, you know, Abby's take on, on, on Alana's mannerisms. It's very funny. <laughs> um, and, and very ridiculous. And, uh, I don't know. I I I love the show so much, and and it's it's completely just you know like continuing so far just to pick up exactly where I left off because it's one of those shows I thought they really nailed it from the beginning, but it got really strong in season two, and yeah. season three just hasn't sh- slowed down at all. Yeah, it was amazing because it went from like a a charming, obviously highly improved show to a very strong, like uh, thematic. Yep series and yeah i've i've loved it i've I've loved the writing especially but the actors are amazing too they're so good i mean and again i I think we said this last time we talked about the show this was like probably six months ago but like god bless amy poehler for (laughs) for helping get this made right because you know this was the they the abby um and, and alana um met at ucb and they were taking classes together and then they did a web series and and somehow got amy poehler to agree and like the appear in like the finale for their web series and then they started pitching, you know, it as an idea as a pilot to, to, to networks. And, and Amy was like, oh, I'll be executive producer. And it's like, you know, her name carries a lot of gravitas. And, and I'm sure that was a big reason why they were picked up. So thank so God I for Amy Fuller. I could take this segue in two directions. Should I go with um, – well, okay. We're going to go with Jared Fogel. Okay. Yes. Speaking of Bill Cosby <laughs> – 
Have you heard the reports from Jared Fogle's first 30 days in prison? Yes, yes, yes. So our friend Justin Williams at Justin actually texted me a link to that today, which I thought was great. Justin Williams from Second Gear Software? Yes, Justin Williams from Second Gear Software. I didn't know you guys were friends. Yeah. He's awesome. He's the best. Um. So yeah, Jared, Jared gained 30 about pounds. 30 pounds. He's apparently stuffing Cinnabons like down his gullet. Well, and really enjoying to, cake you days. You have to beef up before those shower rape sessions. I guess. <laughs> well, because they call him Shomo. <laughs> which means child molester. That's his nickname, yeah. apparently. He's making friends. <laughs> I think it's a perfect ad campaign for Subway, though. Eat Subway or... <laughs> or become a, or go to jail. Or get fat and <laughs> probably assaulted in the shower. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that he's probably like in like one of the protective custody units. So I don't know if he's like allowed to shower by like he probably is one of those things where he has to like shower. Like there's probably like a guard watching at all times or something. Yeah. But yeah, apparently, I mean, what I loved about this is it was apparently like leaked to Us Weekly. So Us Weekly is like the the place that's reporting on Jared's first 30 days. And you got to think <laughs> that's such a nod in Us Weekly story because Us Weekly is always like, you know, oh, what life is like after rehab or like at the most. Right. Like that's like as hardcore. Like that's as hardcore as they go. But instead it's like inside Jared's prison life. <laughs> <laughs> like you can just like see. That is so not the story that they typically would have run. But I read it on a site called Mandatory, I think, and they were just totally making fun of of, of all of Jared's uh, Jaredisms. I think that this is karma, but I'm I'm with you. Like Subway is like, see what happens when you rape little kids. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go to jail and get fat. Yeah, I honestly, uh, if they don't do it as an official television campaign, I think it should be a small web web series. Uh, I agree. I agree. Didn't, Subway did like a. There was a show on Hulu. Yeah, nine to fibers or in betweeners or something like that. That was sponsored by or like literally created by Subway. Yes, they did one of those things where they like did like native advertising. But yeah, no, they should totally do a thing about like Jared in prison because I think we'd all like to see it. Also, what I think is that I mean, this is one of the the downsides of Orange Is the New Black being solely about like female inmates. If it were a show like Oz, which is a superior show in every way, and I like Orange Is the New Black. Don't get me wrong, Oz is just better. Oz, if it were still on the air. I guarantee you would have a cast member who would join who <laughs> was like a spokesperson from a sandwich shop. Uh, uh, a made up, but very um, identifiable. Yes. Sandwich shop. No, no. Actually, what, what Orange is the New Black is going to do is they are going to be bringing in a Martha Stewart-like character. Um, <laughs> they, they, they foretold that at the end of the season. It said basically like a Martha Stewart-like character, you know, is going to be coming and joining the, the woman at Litchfield. That's good. I've always wondered how many people Martha Stewart killed when she was in prison. No, totally. I mean, she, she, uh, look, you know what? I got to give props to Martha for doing that genuinely. Like she did what was best for her business, <laughs> even though the charges that she was charged with were kind of bullshit. And like everybody kind of did that, like she, to go down the way she went down, she was like, yeah, you know what? I'll serve nine months. Fine. Like it, it's better for my business. It's better for, I can now move on with my life and my organization. Like that's hardcore. It's kind of a, uh, it, it's okay. Not there are not many parallels here, but that was Trump's initial let doubling down on, you know, I'm just gonna do what I think is right kind of rhetoric. Totally. And apparently that works. Well, apparently, except the difference is, is that Trump would never actually go to jail for his principle, or, or you know what I mean? Like he would never. Like put himself. I don't think well, he would ever. And he hasn't thought about his principles. Well, no, but not even his principles. But like, I think like Martha like went to jail because she knew it would save her company. 
Right, but whereas the he is, would never, he would just file bankruptcy again. Yeah, okay, and like I said, there are not many actual parallels, but the idea that the American public is willing to just forget. Oh, completely. That someone with Martha Stewart's persona. Yep. Did time. Oh, completely. Well, honestly, though, weirdly for her, I get totally what you're saying. But the thing is with her, for her, I think it actually softened her and it made her better. Like we all kind of hated her and she was kind of like had a bitchy like ice queen persona. And then when we realized she was actually willing to do time, we like she came out of it and we were kind of like, actually, bitch, cool. Like now we like you. It was a weird thing. Um, Whereas... I think it says more about the American public than about her, but I, I agree. I, I, I agree that I had the, that happened to my oh, impression of her. As that's well. what happened to everybody. Everybody hate went from hating her to being like, "Hell yeah, bitch!" Uh, because you were like, "I guess you have like bigger balls than we thought." Like it just she we we didn't expect that from her. We didn't expect her to like be able to like, you know what I think it was. Nobody ever expects the rich person to, like, take their comeuppance, and she took hers, and she took it like a woman. Like, she took it well. And and that does deserve respect. And I can see the American public responding very well to someone who has made a lot of money on all of us accepting, you know, uh, the the legal system's judgment. Right. She didn't fight it. Like, she didn't – she could have gone through an appeal process. She could have gone through a lot of things. She didn't do that. She went. She served her time. She, you know – was was a model inmate by all accounts you know she would participate in like the cooking contest i think for for thanksgiving they had one time i think her team lost which had to have probably killed her but she did it you know and she recognized that she was in a really kind of you know nice facility for what those things are but she she did it and i think you're right i think that's what a lot of people kind of respect and they're going okay you took your lumps and then you persevered which is supposed to be what you can do in america you know you can you can make mistakes yes. and then come out of it that's, I think, very different than Donald Trump, who's never admitted to making a mistake, first of all, and then, you know, doesn't take his lumps. He files for bankruptcy, files his businesses for bankruptcy. You know what I mean? Threatens to sue. Threatens to sue, says, I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, basically, like, does anything other than take responsibility. Here's, here's where my concern with our current political situation lies, is not so much with Trump, but with the people who support Trump, the people who have made Trump. And it's not just because I think they're, you know, stupid or whatever. It's because the parallels between what's happening outside and even inside his rallies are way too close to authoritarian rises in the past. And Completely. not not to go all Godwin's law on this, but if you look at the rise of Hitler and the Third Reich, it, it th- this kind of populist. Yep you know, um, approach to bigotry and hatred and just the kind of uh, fury that erupts in these crowds, it's scary. Like, I I am going to buy a gun. I've never had a gun. I don't want a gun, but... Uh, if this is where we're going. I, I mean, I'm not going to go that far because I, I live in New York and it'd be much more difficult for me to get a gun and be I just it's just not my thing. But like I get what you're saying. I think for me, what scares me about some of the Trump rhetoric, because obviously not all Trump supporters um, are, are racist, you know, kind of fascist and, and, and feel, you know, like hate Muslims and, and think that they should be banned and, and, and hate, you know, anybody who doesn't look like them. That's not all of them, obviously. But um, what is... Um, I guess scary is that there are a lot of people who they support Trump not on those things. I think they think like, oh, he doesn't really mean that, but because uh, they feel like he's speaking for them. them. 
but because he he he's speaking you know out for like the people who feel like they don't have a voice and and that's right. a very valid feeling where people feel like oh you know the 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 um system is against me and and, and the republicans and the democrats don't represent me and nobody's looking out for me but at least this guy's saying what he feels and and what bothers me though because there are a lot of those people who who support him for those reasons but what bothers me and i think the reason that he's become so powerful is that as a society and as kind of as a media the media has been too chicken shit to call his racist supporters out on being racist and call out his positions of racism as being racist earlier than they have. It's one of those things where it's like people have to kind of couch things in terms, and they've done this for the last nine months where they're going, well, not all Trump supporters and not all this and that. And I think that's led to this rise of him saying all these terrible things and him getting so much support is that when we started seeing, like even like this week, the big news is that he won't denounce David Duke. He won't denounce the KKK. And he won't do it because he thinks... And, and Joe Scarborough, who I usually don't agree with, was dead right on this. He wouldn't do that before Super Tuesday because he thinks, because he's a guy from Queens, thinks that Southerners would be upset with him if he called out David Duke. Now, that's actually kind of disrespectful to anybody who lives in the South because that's kind of saying, as like a, a New York guy, well, obviously all white people are racist. And so I can't. What, what, okay, wait. You have to consider, though, in that decision making process, that the people he's worried about losing are already Trump supporters in the South. So that already divides out a lot of the more liberal parts of the South. So to say that he could lose voters because of that is actually very valid because he already has that particular segment. Well, but but those people aren't going to stop voting for him if he says that. He wouldn't lose a single vote. Those people, like the, the, the David Dukes of the world, if he denounces them, what, what are they going to do? They're not going to vote for Cruz. They're not going to vote for Rubio because those guys are Hispanic. They're not going to vote for Carson. So what are you doing? You know what I mean? You're not actually losing any votes. So I actually, I, I think that Joe Scarborough is right and that he he didn't help himself at all. What he's doing is he's falling into the same trap that a lot of people fall into, which, and I say this as someone from the South, and, and I see how people judge people from the South. And look, I judge the South more than anyone, but I can because I'm from there. So it's one of those things where people just assume that all Southerners are going to want to support David Duke and are going to want to support the Klan. And that's not the case. I mean, most Southerners abhor that sort of thing. And 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 certainly, you know, racism is, is worse in parts of the South than it is in other parts of the country. But I mean, like, to me... It just shows, though, that Trump still sees this as like, oh, well, I don't want to piss off this contention of voters. And it's like, who else are those people going to vote for? They're going to vote for you. But that, but, it, but it, it's, it's like by not calling out, I think, as in the media, the parts of his electorate, the parts of his support base are terrible people. We've done everyone a disservice because we've all wanted to couch things with, well, not all Donald Trump supporters. Well, well OK, so here's what all Donald Trump supporters have in common, and it's fear. Yeah, totally. It's, they, it's there are there's a small segment that just wants to see the political system, the two party system burn, which I get. I can understand all these years of having to choose the lesser of two evils. Finally, someone comes along that if they win, the 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 Republican Party is pretty much done. It's gone, and the whole system is disrupted. and And I'm a fan of disruption, but what what the the authoritarian rise that I'm talking about is based on a leader who's willing to say, you're scared of this, I will smash it. And and I will be a strong leader. And they don't care how, they don't care about details, they don't care about plans. They just want someone to come in and take care of all the things that worry them, from unemployment to immigration to, you know, becoming a minority for a lot of the white people 
you know, following Trump. Not that there are a lot of others, but right. Um, you know, it's it's this. It it matches up really well with like Mussolini and more populist movements in yes. Italy and all the way back to Adolf. Did did it's, you see did you see that he retweeted the Mussolini yes. quote? Okay, I, I saw the article. I think it was Gawker. It was right? Gawker. It was Gawker. Uh, <laughs> Ashley Feinberg built the bot at a. Uh, How we fooled Donald Trump into retweeting Mussolini? Uh, yeah, totally. Well, well done, well done, uh, Team Gawker on that one. Well done, Ashley, from for building that bot because that's fantastic. I would like to point out, uh, in reference to previous discussions we've had, that Minnesota, uh, Trump came in third here among G- the GOP caucus. Who who won? Uh, um, Rubio? Rubio, then Cruz, then Trump, and then for the DFL, uh, Bernie just clobbered Clinton right. here. Yeah, no, and I had a feeling that, that he probably would. I mean, you guys are the state of Al Franken. Um <laughs> God bless him. I I do still think Hillary is is the is the nominee. Um, oh yeah. I mean, and, if you look at the total, if you look at the, the especially since the Democratic delegate is is based on like if you win it, you get all the votes. It's it's not um, weighted. So she she she's she's the winner. I really hope, and I like Bernie Sanders. I like a lot of a, a lot of his policies. I'm concerned that some of his supporters will be turned off when he loses, and I really don't want that to happen because we can't have Donald Trump be president. Yeah, everybody. Every, everybody needs to get out to vote, even if you don't like Hillary. It's still one of those things. I like, suck it up and bear it because she's better than him. But, but, looking past this election, if we, if if people are forced to do that, people who really saw a spark of hope in the <laughs> socialist politics of Bernie, who then have to begrudgingly vote for Clinton next time around, the sentiments that are driving this election to be so crazy. Are only going to be stronger. Uh, I agree. I agree. But I also feel like, I mean, we've got to look at whatever the the, the congressional and the senatorial makeup will be at those times. You know. Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, you're right. It makes me want a disruption. I mean, I want a disruption makes me too. You want to burn it all down. I want to burn it all down too. But that, to me, that doesn't mean electing Donald Trump. I agree. I agree. Because that, to me, just is going too far. That is not the way I would choose. No, to because it. that that is not how you do it. I mean, I think, and and honestly, I think if Hillary were smart, you know, she gets elected, give Bernie a cabinet position. Because yeah. if I'm being totally honest, I don't think he'd be a great president. Just because I don't think that he would ever get any of his policies passed ever. I, I, I think there's a very valid concern there. Yeah. Like my, my concern would Again, be. Again, depends on the rest of the political situation. Completely. At that point. But, but, but I think even. Let's just, let's just assume that it looks just like the makeup of the House and the, and the Senate right now. He would never get anything done. Let's assume it swings and he has a supermajority. Would he? Uh, I don't know, honestly. To be totally frank, I don't know because I don't know if enough of the Democrats agree are as leftist as he is of certain things. Well, and and this race, regardless of who wins, is going to change the way that politicians pander to their constituency Completely. because there's an entire constituency that has come out of the woodwork at this point that people are realizing on both a sides. A lot of lot of loud voices and voting power. And that's and that's that that, that that's clear on both sides. I mean, we've oh, talked absolutely. we we've talked so much about kind of the breakup of the of the Republican Party and I think that's absolutely accurate and and already, you know, the, their strat, their chief strategists have said, you know, kind of the on the GOP side, the, the more hardliners have kind of talked about there was a New York Times article this week about how, you know, senior officials are kind of preparing themselves like this is what happens if Trump gets the nomination we will kind of burn the party to the ground we will split on him and make sure that you guys all get reelected but but that Trump doesn't um because they're kind of are envisioning okay let's just see how we can overtake Hillary you know and have a have a supermajority you know in, in the house and and senate 
Um, they'd rather have that situation have her in office than have him in office. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it opens up, but, but I think that on the democratic side, it opens up some interesting things too, which is what we haven't talked as much about is that there is a splintering happening on the left too. It's not as severe and it's not as, um, unfixable, I don't think, you know, but, but there's certainly a splintering there. And, and, and it's one of those things where you are having kind of this difference between kind of like more mainline liberals and, and Democrats and, and, and the kind of modern progressive movement, which is gaining more traction. Um, I think fundamentally what makes this election so scary to a lot of us is that it just kind of shows that as a country, we've never been more split in opposite directions before. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, there, every election has caused splintering and worries. And then things get uh, progressively more divided and you see the rise of the tea party and you see the right wing embrace that and then shun it. Right. You know, and then these sentiments, they do keep growing. They, they, too, they, they keep don't growing. go away. No, they don't. I mean, that's the thing, you know, the tea party, what started with the tea party has continued. And like that has kind of become, you know, Trump. I mean, the tea party mm-hmm. were kind of the, the creators of the birther movement, which is kind of what led to Trump's modern rise. Right, exactly. Um, and, 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 and Trump wouldn't call himself a Tea Party candidate because he's not. But, but he a lot would of call the, himself a birther. Of course he would. But 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 a lot of the, the people in the Tea Party I mean the irony here though is that with Trump, because he's so divisive, is that you have Tea Party politicians like Nikki Haley, who's the the governor of um what state Carolina, South, North, North Carolina, South oh. Carolina, one of them, you know, who who he you know had a war of words with on Twitter, who you know she's not supporting him and whatnot, and he called her like a disgrace to America and all kinds of things. You know, <laughs> I she's loved, I loved her. Her tweet was just "Bless your heart." Bless your heart, which is <laughs> such which is such a southern way of saying "Go fuck yourself." I loved it. It was so great. Um, but yep. you know, she was one of the first governors kind of elected on the Tea Party ticket. You know, she's very much one of those people, and so that's what's sort of interesting about this is that even the people who are anti-establishment and the Republican Party don't all agree. Yeah. You know, Ted Cruz is obviously the Tea Party guy. Um, Rubio would would I guess be like the the mainline guy. You know, the GOP guy, and then Trump. Except I mean. For- Roger Ayers has shunned Rubio now. Yes, yes. Well, because he's not getting good ratings and he's not delivering. So Roger Ailes is like, well, screw Ailes, you. Sorry. Yeah, so Ailes is like, screw <laughs> you. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, but it, it, honestly, that's been what's really been fun about watching Fox News during all this is that Fox does not know what to do. What that has – because they have run the GOP for so many years straight yep. now. Right, it exactly. Is, it's fascinating to see that they are no longer in control of an entire – in, half of the political process exactly they're not in control of the narrative and and the fact that you know in a lot of in a lot in some some of their hosts do support trump and, and will have him on but a lot of them don't you know and when trump goes after their own they're put in a really weird position where it's like well do we defend ourselves and our organization and what we stand for or do we kowtow to this guy's party line they've never had anybody fight back before they've just set the agenda so it's been interesting At to see someone. Never had anyone fight back successfully before. Well, that's what I mean, and and <laughs> and but but even I don't even know if they've had people attempt to fight back before, really. You yeah, know? I don't know. You know, of course, you wouldn't know because they are right so because good they're so good. Control. They're so good, exactly. So you you have a thing where literally you have a guy who has his, his own pulpit, who literally, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's been fascinating watching kind of for all the talk that that there is about you know how Twitter is dying and 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 as a company, it's certainly in trouble. It is notable that Donald Trump has basically run his entire campaign. The only social media network he's cared about at all is Twitter. I honestly. And, and, I don't know. I think that the internet should declare Twitter too big to fail. 
I would now hope that, so. Now that Twitter has erased all of its competitors in the microblogging space over the years. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of agree with that, except, you know, I mean, they kind of can't make money. So they're, it's at a certain point where it's like, well, what are we going to do? Uh, right. So what what are we going to do? A bunch of startups that get like not even close to critical mass in users and then we lose the communication platform that Twitter I, has become? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I guess that's, that's the problem with them going public and being forced to go public. I mean, they were frankly not, not ready to go when they went and they haven't evolved with their sales and with their product yeah, the way that they should Financially, have. it's a mess. But as a platform, I mean, I agree. everything from Arab Spring to the Oscars. Uh, no, you're dead on. It, it, as a platform, it, it, it totally, it's, 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 it's like unlike anything else. I mean, I, I agree with you. We should agree that it's too big to fail, but it's like, I don't know how to save it unless, yeah, unless Google buys it. Or, or it becomes a federally funded program. Oh, my God. Can you even imagine? <laughs> no. No. Well, that, that was terrible. fun. A that fun, was fun foray into politics. That was a fun foray into politics. We have time for, like, one more topic. What do you think? Uh, yeah, briefly. Um, let's say I did the yoga thing. Okay, tell me about yoga because we talked about this last time. You said you were yeah. going to be going to do a how's your back. It is great. Um, and I, my carpal tunnel's gotten really bad lately. I've been going to occupational therapy for that. And, uh, I found ways to modify most yoga poses that involve palms to work with my carpal tunnel. And it's, I'm, I'm totally in It's It's awesome. It's like working out without having to, uh, uh, the aerobics part is what always, I always hate about working out. I, I love weightlifting. But yoga, actually, I felt really good when it was done. And I'm I'm scheduled to go back starting to do classes now. That's awesome. There's an episode of King of the Hill where Hank um, throws his back out and he is ordered to go perform yoga. And, and that's <laughs> and that then that fixes him. And the problem is, is that his insurance company thinks that he is uh, fooling them and they get photos of him, um, you know, <laughs> lifting things up. And so he has to testify in court on you know, the record that he performs yoga and, and he feels like it impales his masculinity. It's a really funny episode. Um, but, but yeah, but, but, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of this where like literally like it was the one thing that he was able to do to, uh, <laughs> to, to solve his back problems was, was yoga. And I, and I think, I can't remember who, who I think might've been Ben Stiller or somebody who was, who was the voice of, of the yoga instructor. It was very funny. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look that one up because it definitely does pertain here. Yeah, it's it's it, it that seemed like an episode. This is a, yet another one of like my like King of the Hill. It, there are an awful lot of life situations where that show ends up rearing its head. It's like actually, this this relates to that. Yeah, no, I love that show. That show kind of became my Simpsons after the Simpsons got kind of stale for a while there. Yeah, it, it it's uh, it's Grant's show, and 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 I I watched it a little bit and and had given up for for a while, and then when Grant and I got together. Um, it had just started in reruns on, on Adult Swim, but it was actually still airing on Fox and we would watch it together. And like, he's always described himself like that he was Bobby Hill as a child. And, (laughs) uh, and, and, and it's very funny that, that even hearing stories of his childhood and things like, well, yeah, you were so Bobby Hill. Like it's it's very funny. (laughs) Nice. The one other thing I'll mention is I finally broke down and got a game controller for my Apple TV. Oh, nice. Nice. I got the, uh, the SteelSeries Nimbus. That's a good controller. It feels good in the hand. It is really good. It feels great. It charges over a lightning yep. adapter, and um, I had absolutely zero problem. It actually, you can even, in most apps, you can simulate the accelerometer. Cool. With the right joystick. So even apps that weren't necessarily built for 
the like right d-pad plus two joystick controller you you can simulate it yeah that's I, i'm cool. loving it it's made life so i actually enjoy playing games on my tv way way more now yeah i haven't i haven't um used that one i i mean i i paired it with it just for kind of a test but i haven't used it like at home or anything but that's good to know and i know that that controller is great because i've used that controller with the, with other things before so even even with crossy road and alto's adventure which are basically like one click games yep. I love Crossy Road. Especially Altos. Um, it, it, it just, you no longer, you're no longer accidentally hitting the home button when you're yes. trying to like perform a jump and stuff. So. Wait, which, which is the problem with like the core Apple TV controller. Well, one of the many problems with it, but I think one that's of kind of many. The, one of the many. Um, are you excited? We haven't talked about this since uh, John Gruber, or I guess this was like three weeks ago, he had an interview with, with uh, uh, Craig and um, Eddie um, about... Um, the Apple TV and, and Eddie announced that uh, there's going to be, you know, a new app remote control. It'll basically recreate the Siri remote um, in app form. Are you excited about that? I, I would say yes. I really want to see them revisit the hardware. I really think that yeah. the Apple TV remote needs to be reconsidered, not yeah. with an app. I mean, I think that they probably will because they've heard so much of that feedback. I think they probably will. But I... I do wonder how long that's going to take, and I think it'll probably take longer than some people are happy with. Oh, look how many years we had the silver or the totally. aluminum. <laughs> well, I just I just think about how long it's going to be until they do a second generation, and already like the the processor and the GPU in it are pretty good. Yeah, but the price point they're selling it at, I don't see them wanting to increase the capabilities. You know, so you're probably no, looking it, at another. It, really, it will be a while because they're not going to put out a remote on no, its own. No, they're definitely not going to do that. That would be completely on Apple. But I do feel like once they do do like a second generation Apple TV four, um, or I guess maybe it'll be an Apple TV five. Who even freaking knows? I think it'll be one of those things where it'll be um, they'll they'll, they'll revisit the remote. Was it, did it seem to you like their naming convention just kind of made it seem like the first three gens it of the exist. Apple TV didn't happen? It, it totally did. But the irony, of like, course, we were just kidding. This we're just, is the we're Apple just, TV. We're just joking, guys. The problem is, of course, that they're still selling the Apple TV three. Yeah, yeah. And they sell it for sixty nine dollars, so they kind of can't do that. It's a weird thing where they've got two UIs, two app ecosystems. You know, um, two well, remotes. You know, they, when they stop numbering the iPhones, yeah, then we'll uh, be concerned. Right. You know, like the iPads are officially, I think, I think they, they just sell them as mini and air, right? No, because it's air two. to assume. No, it's air two. Oh, it, 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 air it, it, it is air two. And, and the mini, I think it's technically the mini four, but maybe at this point. Yeah. And I but even I, think they I call think, it mini four. I think they made, there was a year they made a conscious effort. Yes. And they just called it the new iPad. That was the right. iPad three. But the problem was, is that then seven months later, they released the iPad four. Right, and, and they, they, they kind of backpedal exactly because they couldn't just call it the new iPad anymore. And then they introduced the iPad Air, and then the iPad Air two, um, and the Mini, and all that. And now they have the iPad uh, Pro. And then the rumor is, is that the next iPad Air will not be the iPad Air three, but will instead be the iPad Pro. <laughs> the iPad Pro S. Yeah, well, no, it'll be weird though because maybe it's like you have the because then it's like if you have two iPad Pros, so you have like the the nine point seven inch iPad Pro, and then you have like the big twelve point nine inch. So it's like okay, well, what? Are you just going to call it iPad Pro the same way you call a MacBook a, a MacBook Pro, regardless if it's 13 or 15 it's inches? So goddamn fragmented. It, it it really is. Uh, well, the thing is, what I keep kind of making fun of, and you know, everybody who listens to this podcast should know that I love Apple because I do. I fucking love Apple. But here's the problem: I made fun of Samsung for their like Goldilocks complex of like making a phone in every size. But if I made fun of Samsung for that, I've got to make fun of Apple for it because we're going to have an iPhone SE, and I so we're going to have a four-inch iPhone, a five-inch iPhone, a six, a, you know, a, a, um, you know, a, a 
five and a half inch iPhone, you know, an iPad mini, an iPad pro 9.7, an all, iPad all of us pro who, All of us who bought into Apple's stubbornness with screen sizes. Yep. During those that those early days when Samsung was starting to yep. really fragment things, um, all of us who bought into that, we 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 defended. We did. We totally defended. Of, we were like, "Oh, it's Goldilocks." Fragmenting and and now they're fragmenting and, the hell out yeah. of everything, and so we've got to go. Now I feel more fragmented. Than, well, completely. Than Android and Samsung owners. Uh, I wouldn't say more, but certainly as much. And then, except at least with them, they have vector images, and we have to create bitmaps of everything. So, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's totally fair. At least make, our OSs are relatively consistent. I agree, but but I think feel like it, it it's unfair for us to like have made fun of Samsung for all those years and then give oh, Apple a pass. I, and I, and I, I see have iPhone guilt over it. And I see so many people giving Apple a pass already for it. And I'm not going to be one of those people. Like I'm a fanboy, but I'm not stupid. Like if I made fun of one company for that, I'm not I'm not a hypocrite. Is but I, I I probably am stupid, but I'm not a hypocrite. Like I'm I'm, I'm going to call <laughs> if I'm going to call one company out for it, I'm going to call another out for it. It just I is 100% what it is. I 100 back you up on that. I totally agree. Well, awesome. All right. Well, thanks again to One Password for bringing you this um, uh, very disparate episode. It's a good episode, though. I think everything from Oscars to politics. Yeah, oh, of course, that's kind of all the same thing, right? It, well, and, and, it, and it's kind of our show, dude. I know it's what we do. <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at ovrtrd. That's like overtired with. Only one vowel. It's like the Tumblr and, version of Overtired. Right. And Flickr, Tumblr, and, the, the and Tumblr Overtired. It's the Web 2.0 version of Overtired. <laughs> and uh, and you can find us on iTunes where you can feel free to leave reviews. Um, Please we, leave us a review. We have a lot of fun re- reading those. We do. And then, Christina, you're on Twitter at... I'm film underscore girl on the Twitters. And I am TT Scoff. And do you have a website right now, Christina? I mean, I technically have ChristinaWarren.com, but it hasn't been updated in years. But you can go there. Or you can find my work at Mashable. Just, you know, wherever. Twitter's a good place to find me. What about you, Brett? I'm at BrettTerpstra.com. You can find everything I do there, including the shuttle for the aluminum Apple TV remote. <laughs> I've decided not to update for a while because I really, really, really don't want to support this guy. <laughs> current hardware model so anyway um that was i think episode 57 it's been great talking to you christina thanks bright get some sleep you too the system is going down now